This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. What was all that about easy fixtures setting City up for the quadruple? It seems Swansea didn't read the script laid out by rival fans on Twitter this week and it took a 21-minute turnaround for Pep Guardiola's side to keep the dream of the near-impossible alive. Welcome to the Blue Moon Podcast and this week we'll be reflecting on City's scare in South Wales. Where does the game leave Fabian Delph and what does it say that Leroy Sane and Gabriel Jesus couldn't seem to influence the tie? We'll get the panel's views on that shortly. Also this week we're taking a trip down memory lane to perhaps the most iconic FA Cup comeback. Who says Link don't have to be tenuous on this show and we'll hear from Howard Hawking as well I'm your host David Mooney and with me are two giants of the Manchester City patch we've got Goal.com's Sam Lee Hello, that was a giant of an intro by the way I got, got through it in one as well so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pleased with that and uh, Mail Sports Jack Gorn Hello, you alright? Not too bad, thanks, you well, you both well Yeah, Mail yeah. Sport, I've not been called that for a while Mail like, Online At Mail Sport Is that wrong? No, no, not wrong no. Just, just <laughs> mixing it up, that's all um, So yeah, FA Cup campaign uh, is in the spotlight this week where we've we, we spent so long talking about the quadruple this season and Guardiola's played it down and we've been trying to play it down and then, you know, maybe playing it up in the coming weeks. You'd be surprised with how things panned out over the weekend now if it was the FA Cup that let City down, wouldn't you? Even if, if they'd have drawn any of those teams in the semi-final, Wolves would have been the hardest, but you'd have gone, oh, they're going to make the final. And then whoever's left, okay, they're going to win that. But especially now, having played, but been drawn against Brighton... You would definitely expect them to win that. And then the final... I mean, Wolves in the final would be good. I wouldn't say City definitely going to win that, but I would say City probably going to win that. So, yeah, the FA Cup. And, you know, from a City City fan's point of view, obviously that was the trophy that kicked everything off in 2011. But nothing since. And obviously losing to Wigan a couple of years later. It it must be nice to have the FA Cup within reach again. Well, I was going to say it was it was Wigan though that undid City a few years ago, and I think a lot of the fans still have that kind of right in the front of their mind. They won't be taking that lightly. No, although I mean this is a big clang, by the way. I was talking to a Brighton fan a couple of days ago. Oh, I know. <laughs> and they and he was, um, yeah, he was saying they're going to get absolutely battered. They they have absolutely no hope whatsoever. Which I think Swansea fans were saying that though. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, Bright. I don't know. Maybe this is just me being really pessimistic, but Brighton's probably the one out of the three that you turn around and go, "Well, oh, they might just dig in for as yeah, for as long as possible, and something might drop." Because um, weirdly, they've had, but the major problems they've had this season have been against the teams you'd expect them to absolutely batter. Um, so I don't think it's a foregone. Con- I mean, they should. I think personally, think it will be a disappointment for them if they didn't win the domestic treble from here. Um, and they, I think they should win the FA Cup. But like one-off games, as they found with Wigan over the years, and found against Swansea last week, um, they're not diff- they're not easy, are they? They're... No. Thing is, though, with it being at Wembley now, I think not, to link it a bit back to Swansea, it was kind of like look, he didn't play a weakened team. You wouldn't say it was a weakened team, but it was kind of maybe they expected that like, we're going to win this, and then they found it a bit harder, but. Their mentality is going to be spot on because if you go to Wembley for a game, even if it's a semi-final, it's going to be a big occasion. You've seen them do it, obviously, in the Carabao Cup the last two years. Some of them before that as well. And I think I just think they'll go there and they'll be switched on. Pep will play an even stronger team than he usually would have, I'd imagine. 
So, you know, Sterling and Bernardo Silva, for example, Aguero. Foden and Cream Field, yeah. Uh, we'll see how the injuries go in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I just think the mentality will be will be on it, and I mean, maybe it wasn't completely on it um, on Saturday. Well, I, we'll talk about the Swansea game shortly, but I mean, one final thing on the uh, on the FA Cup campaign: uh, five thirty kickoff at Wembley on a Saturday. It's, it, it doesn't seem to be quite in City fans' favour that one. I mean, the talks at the moment whether there'll be trains back, we're not entirely sure. Um, you're looking at you know if it extra time penalties could be as late as eight o'clock finishing. Mm. It just feels like like one of those games where again the fans are, are, are last to be considered. It was wonderfully transparent from Virgin Trains to say City fans that shouldn't expect trains beyond nine o'clock. Oh, good. Which That's is basically nice saying not going to happen, is it? Yeah, they're not going to put on extra. No chance. Well, they haven't before. I don't think they, they've, they've never done it before. Have they done it for United? I might have done it once for United when they kicked up a real fuss. It's not. It's not a regular. It's unusual. If, 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 it would if be they unusual. have, it's not. A, yeah, yeah, it's not a thing yeah. that, that happens every time. It's just the thing well, is, they're without... missing out on the, the, from a business point of view. They're missing out on loads of money, aren't they? It would make sense. Yeah, I don't understand why it doesn't just does, just doesn't happen all the time. Or you know, you put the old football spe- specials on or something like that, um, which is. Uh, what happened to my club when we played a game in London uh, in the Cup about 15 years ago it was on a Tuesday night and they'd actually put put trains on specifically who did you draw? Uh, we drew Arsenal away and lost 2-1 um, I can't remember who scored I wasn't, allowed, <laughs> wasn't actually allowed to go because I was at school the next day um, but it's just I don't know. It, it's never the thing is. It's never going to change, is it? I don't no, think. Yeah. No it's one's just asked. Not, no one cares. No one. But no one well, cares. No one and in then, position to do anything cares. Obviously. You're also going to have City fans thinking, well, if I'm spending however much for the ticket well and hundred quid for weekend. the train, well, go for the weekend or save it for the final. If you don't, you know, if you haven't mm. got that money, you're not going to go to the semi. You'll go to the final. Right. Well, let's talk about Swansea because uh, you know order of the day and everything. Uh, this is what Pep Guardiola had to say after the comeback win in South Wales. I didn't watch it. Second. If there is no penalties offside, like the people say, I'm sorry. But as to the authorities, why the VAR is not here? So they asked us, all the clubs about the VAR, we said we want the VAR all the season. In all around the Europe, the VAR is there, and here is not. So as to the people, why not? In some games, is the VAR, and here not. We are last. So I, I, I didn't. I don't like to lose games when the decisions is wrong. Because the referees don't want to make a wrong decisions, but must be held because it's centimeter. Sometimes they spend a VAR three minutes to take a decision. Imagine in one second take a decision during the game. So it's not easy. So I don't like honestly to win in that game. But in the same time, if you see the game, we play incredible well. So we second half with an amount of actions, an amount of crosses, an amount. The, the keeper was incredible in the first half and the second. So when we analyze the game, we deserve to win by far. That is my opinion. But winning that way, I'm sorry. If finally, the action is not penalty or the, the, the offside. So I'm sorry. What does it say about the character of your players? A lot. We need it. We need it. We need this kind of wins to win. So I said to the players, I was sometimes fortunate to win titles in a lot of seasons. And this kind of wins, winning this kind of way, we won many, 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 many times. The people say here, oh, Manchester City, 0-4, no, no. When you fight for all the titles, you don't have rest every three days game. You need, it's, a, it's so, so healthy for our team to win this kind of games. We were lacking the, uh, now I saw the penalty from, from Aguero. So you need this kind of... 
situations to go through. Can I ask you what your thoughts on Sergio Aguero? He seems to be getting better and better and better. I ask him, please train a little bit in this week off. Don't drop your physical condition because now he's in incredible top form. Top form. I like because in different ways we play with two strikers, so it's nice to leave that situation because sometimes some games we will need that to put a lot of people in the box. And Sergius is exceptional. So now is a in that moment that only the greatest strikers they have. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the win at Swansea. We'll, we'll start with the decisions because that seems to be the uh, the big talking point. Um, the beginning of the season, we were saying that Liverpool were getting all the uh, all, all the favourable decisions. You can't really argue that it, it doesn't balance out now. <laughs> city, city have had a few in the last few weeks. Everyone's had a few, haven't they? Like It, it does... It does balance out, and you—I mean, you can. After the Mane red card, oh, I was disappointed that Liverpool got that penalty the other day, but I didn't think that's never a pen. I thought that goalkeeper had a shocker, and then you go on Twitter later on and going, "Oh, it's a dive. It's not a dive." Too, too many people are too interested in work in saying in who's the, got in the context of this, it, yeah. but yeah, and and City. I mean, the offside is one of those where you look at it, and if there was VAR, which there should have been, which is another layer to it, they would have just gone, "Oh yeah, he's off." But in real time, from from the angle, you know, he was kind of... The linesman was on the other side of the defender and all that, but the pen was a bad one. Like, I don't know how either the linesman or the ref didn't spot it, but it's on the FA, and The FA decided Swansea could have had VAR and didn't do it. So what, what are you going to do? Well, I was gonna and say- City would have scored anyway. City yeah, they were, definitely they would, have, would have, game, have scored yeah. anyway. I mean, they, it might have gone to extra time, but they'd have equalised anyway. Yeah. They were well, battered them. And Swansea weren't going to do anything about it. They were just sitting back. They had nothing. They were gone. Well, I was going to say, one radio station in particular was calling for City to offer a replay, which, I mean, it, it just kind of it sums up where we're at with this at the moment. Because, I mean, at the start of the tournament, we knew that we knew where VAR would be used and where it wouldn't be used. It's not like it's been thrown in at random at the, in I, the latter stages. I really don't understand it. I don't understand the argument about VAR that's raged over the last week. VAR was never going to be in place at Championship Grounds in FA Cup. Full stop. Swansea lost the game because of poor refereeing decisions, but Swansea would have lost. <laughs> Swansea would have lost the game because of poor refereeing decisions this time last year as well. There's no great sense of injustice to not having VAR at a ground that was never going to have VAR. It's. I think it's because the FA decided before on that they just went, "Oh no, we'll stick with the original ruling," which in hindsight now looks terrible. But I know. But then if 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 one so if if it had been at the if it had been at Swansea, great, they got the correct decisions. But then, what have happened at Millwall? Millwall, I don't think Millwall's geared up for it. And you, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure at, it is. Look at how they knocked Everton out. Well, yeah, and then there was the kind of um, there was the goal late on in the game against uh, Millwall Brighton. Sorry, yeah, yeah Brighton, Brighton game and Brighton just before penalties. No it? VAR. And they, yeah, they give they give it offside. But obviously, but again, this is just how the the weird logic <clears> of people. Brighton won on penalty, so no one's bothered. Brighton aren't as big as City, aren't as controversial as City, so no one's bothered. It's like Sterling getting a pen against Shakhtar, was it? And everyone was saying... Is that when he, he, tri- is that when he tripped himself he up? Yeah, yeah, he was like, he should have missed it, or he should have said it wasn't a pen, or should have apologised, or whatever. I was tweeting about this the other day, and it was a bit it was a bit of a watershed moment, because that should be confined to talk sport, really. Because we know what they do. We know they call, we call up with stuff like that. They get people annoyed to ring in and go, talking rubbish. And they're great because they've got their listeners hooked in then. But that came over to City Twitter by one of the one of the aggregator accounts. 
and now we're talking about it and this is the thing now like with twitter and the media and it kind of feeds it, it feeds each other it's like an endless cycle and now we're talking about it and giving credence to it it's nonsense though some people are saying after the game, oh, City or Guardiola should apologise. Guardiola literally did apologise. I, was, I, was I don't know say, what else you could do. We've just heard him apologise. It's, it's, it's exactly what he said. Um, I just want to briefly touch on the penalty on Sterling because there seems to have been controversy about whether it was or wasn't. What were, you, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, I was there, didn't have a monitor, not seeing it back. Okay. Sam? <laughs> <laughs> I was not there. I was at the same gig at the Manchester Arena as you. I watched the second half on my phone. Um, definitely wasn't the pen. He, just won, he won the ball first. And it's not like he fouled him and then won the ball. He just won the ball. It just wasn't the pen. We Fair play to the Manchester Arena Wi-Fi because I had, I had a great view of it on my phone. <laughs> and I was like, that's never a pen. And then none of the replays I've seen since have convinced me otherwise. Just no way. We had so, we had someone come around on, during the game on Saturday, tap us on the shoulder and say, by the way, it wasn't a pen. And, oh, and he was definitely offside as well. I won't tell you from which club they, they were from. But... Um, yeah, we were we were told that both of them were wrong during the match. It's one of them, isn't it? Things go against you, things go for you. Right, so let's talk about a, a few more relevant issues then to the Swansea game because uh, Fabian Delph uh, gave away a penalty in the first half. Um, didn't have his greatest game in a city shirt, let's say. It's probably the kindest way of putting it. Where does it leave him now? Um, well, not in a great place, really. Um, He's got to be done, hasn't he? Well, close to, yeah. I mean... He barely played after the red card at Wigan last year in the Cup. And then he barely played after the red card against Leicester over Christmas. And the managers claimed that, or said that he's been injured. Uh, and But he's come back. He's been Well, he's been brought back in. And then, I mean, fancy being 2-0 down and having to take your left back off because he's that bad. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and, and actually a like-for-like like replacement. Not even as if they're throwing on another striker, going for goals or anything like that. It's, it's a strange. I don't know. You know what's happened? Obviously, kind of because he was good last season. I mean, people. Yeah, but I mean, you look. But you he, look was, at it. he was an important part of that team last season. And you, but you look at it in hindsight, and what's he remembered for last season? Sent off at Wigan. Sent <laughs> off at Wigan, and that ridiculous rant in the dressing room. The two things that he's remembered for. Um, yeah, I guess so. Like, he, he, was, did, he did have he a good season good. last year. You, I mean, he, 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 he was an... He I'm was... not disputing that, but the two things, for me, that he's remembered for are those two things. And when he's had the opportunity this season, he's played pretty poorly and has been shown up by um, a winger who has played, played left-back a little bit beforehand but has basically been converted to a left-back who didn't even want last summer. Yeah. The whole, well, the Zinchenko is a whole other story as well. But the thing with his situation going into the game at the weekend is... If Guardiola obviously didn't play him and a lot of people have their suspicions that it was because of the red card at Leicester and that's three months ago and injuries or whatever. But if he was thinking this guy might be a bit of a liability and give away a pen like that, it's not going to do anything to reinforce Guardiola's belief that actually, you know, he's a viable player going forward. Um, and you don't really see where he fits into the squad for next season. He said he can play a defensive midfield, but... When's that going to happen? Especially if they sign a new, a new alternative to Fernandinho, and well, if they get a new left back or not, Zinchenko is now going to get a new contract. He's playing really well. Supposedly, Mendy's going to be around, and they might get a new one as well. So, well, let's let's talk about Zinchenko because I mean, it, it kind of a mark of where his stock is at the minute to be like Jack said to be brought on as a like for like replacement as one of the players to save the game. Yeah, well, I 
I was watching it with my wife, and I was like, "This is, this is mad." They're they're actually bringing on Zinchenko to help change the game. It it goes. Well, I was thinking it the other way, a bit more glass half full. You know, it goes to show how far Zinchenko's improved, and also he was good because they could just stick him, kind of like left midfield. He wasn't, he wasn't really having to play left back because Swansea were very rarely attacking, and yeah, I mean, he's just he he wants the ball. You know, in in his recent period where. He was getting so much praise for how good he is, you know, the, the Bournemouth game and that kind of thing and the, the West Ham game. He had so many touches, so many passes. He's not afraid to have the ball. You know, this is a team of like world-class players and you would always say that he is, in for a lot of time, clinging on. Like he's a bit of, again, a competition winner in, in some ways, you know what I mean? Like he just doesn't seem like the rest of them. But he's got, he's every bit as confident as the rest of them. He'll have the ball, he'll use it well. And yeah, him coming on and helping to change the game it's just the latest example of how much he's turned it around. As Jack said, you know they they wanted him out of the door. It, it's been remarkable the way he even got into the first team last season with all the injuries. But that goes back to the first, whole Danny Alves thing. Yeah, and, was he? I mean, his first game was Wolves in the cup last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was kind of like, well, this left back <clears> thing is <throat> not going to work. And to be honest, how many times did he play left back last season? And there were quite often where you think it's still not going to work. And even at the moment, he has lapses. But then you think. So does Mendy. Well, no, I mean this is the major. This is the major problem going forward, though. In that, you know, if they were, if they weren't, I think they are going to obviously going to sign left back. But if they weren't, Zinchenko, I'm, he's still not a defender. Like one on one up against, he's not. A, he's not a left back in that sense. He's great for them in what they want to do with the ball, and positionally, he's quite sound um, when they're moving into midfield and whatever. But he's kind of, he's a bit of a strange one, really, because you wouldn't play him in it. You wouldn't start him in an attacking role, I don't think. Or I wouldn't. No. Because he's not got what, that like kind number of... like a number eight? Well, either central or out wide. I wouldn't start him out wide either. I don't think no. he's got that kind of trick and he's not... that. Well, he's not as quick as the rest of them. Um, and his delivery's not as good. But if you if you want to play him as an attacking left-back, it gives you something different and he's able to move inside and whatever. But the, but the major problem is, which is the same one they've got with Mendy, is that... The guy can't defend, and he's. Bit, I mean, West. Uh, I mean, he got praised loads against uh, the West Ham game, didn't he? I yeah, thought, like, but he wouldn't he, have if Andy but, Carroll had a scored. But defensively, he was all over the place. West Ham. So, I don't know. I think that's still. He's improved that, massively, but, but that's still, still like, got to be a priority position for him, left back and a central midfielder. You see him doing the keepy uppies with the key. Yeah, it was fan. nice. <laughs> Lovely. <that>. Yeah, <laughs> he's a I nice thought, lad. Like, we I spoke to him after the game the other week, and he was. He's a good lad, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's, yeah. I thought the I, I thought the kid was ready to go on for a few more. Actually, to be honest. Oh, so what you said is he shouldn't have walked <laughs> off. So <laughs> <Yeah>. you say. <laughs> uh, sticking on the left hand side because uh, it looks like I mean you know how the podcast works by now. We we say it looks like he's going to sign a new contract. So then by the time you all hear this, he already has. So you know another one who's in that position is Leroy Sane. Um, he, he won't have. Well, he, he was he, he, he was similarly hooked off uh, like Delph. Um, where, where's he at at the minute? Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Because only a couple of weeks ago, it was like, right, he's definitely not got any problems left. He's flying, and all of a sudden, he's back at kind of, well, well, Guardiola didn't Guardiola say the other week oh, when he doesn't play, he can be low on confidence, and that kind of thing. So, it's just I don't know, maybe a suggestion that the the kind of things at the start of the season haven't totally gone away. But I suppose what you can say for him is he's he's made impact, hasn't he? And if you're not, I mean, obviously Guardiola wants him to be consistent. But obviously the Schalke game with that free kick. The Schalke home game where you didn't play particularly well at the start but was incredible after that. But then, yeah, you've got 
the games where it was West Ham, wasn't it, when him and Mares got took off pretty sharpish. Yeah. Um, and same again at Swansea. I've, it's it's a strange one with him. I'd have left him on against Swansea. Yeah, I mean, I th- he wasn't having a bad game. I, th- I thought Mares would have come off first, mm. but what, what do I know? Um, it, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, and I mean the contract situation's a bit of a worry, but I, I don't think it's like properly urgent at the moment because you know Sterling's dragged on for a bit, didn't it? You know, Sterling was like at, at a slightly similar stage, and this is it's him and Aguero we have form for 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 saying on the Thursday, oh well, you know it's still dragging on, and then they've signed it for first thing Friday morning by the time everybody hears it, so you never know. Uh, uh, well, no, Sane <laughs> won't have signed, won't have signed it by yeah, Friday. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, I mean the kind of we both wrote last week, didn't we? That the there are there have been issues with the contract um, that stem from his mum getting involved in the negotiations. Uh, his dad's the agent. And he has a intermediary, intermediary that looks uh, that helps out that lives over here. Um, but the mum has been a has been a problem. Um, City is still confident they'll get done, but it has. I mean, it has been going on a long time. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, because it was. When did it become apparent last year? Was it around Christmas when it was like, oh, City are signing down everyone? You know, even like Fernandinho got one, and Otamendi and De Bruyne, and I'm sure it was around then. Like Sane's gonna Sane's gonna get one as well because we started looking at people they'd signed in the Guardiola era, going all these are gonna get new contracts. But yeah, there's not there's not been an awful lot of movement, I don't think, in that year. Definitely since the summer, um, it, it's just a bit of a strange one at the minute. I always had a feeling that he would be the first one to go of the team. You know, maybe not the city like Leicester, but you know, when after they won the title, that only Kante went and everyone else stayed. I wouldn't be surprised if everyone else, like De Bruyne, or Sterling, or whatever, everyone signed up and was happy and they carried on. Bernardo. But I wouldn't be surprised if Sane just went. I always thought Real Madrid, but I know a lot of people seem mm. to be worried about Bayern Munich and with the whole kind of family dynamic as well. Maybe, but well, there's also the you know with, with the personal with his personal life that his um, his partner he's had the, the child with earlier in the season is American. You don't you don't know where she wants where she wants to be. You don't know whether she wants to be in Europe and. Sometimes those things are more important, aren't they? Maybe he's yeah, thinking yeah. about that. I don't know. You do, it's very difficult. There's so many issues. And yeah, there's loads. And it's, and it's not, not his fault. He's a young lad as well. Yeah, it's, it's not his fault. fault. It's not his fault at yeah. all. And I mean, also, like City is still adamant that it's gonna, he's going to yeah. sign it. Yeah. But you know, this that is the reason for the delay, and it has been a lengthy delay. But were you saying, oh, they might announce it Friday morning? And not, wouldn't not, it be hilarious if they do? Know, yeah. But no, I can't see it being done that that soon. Fair play. Uh, one final thought on the Swansea game. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, um, his numbers are stacking up fine, but there's still question marks over his performances. What, what, what do you rate of him at the minute? I, don't know, I didn't really notice him on Saturday. This is it. Like him, the Sane we've just done, Jesus and Mahrez, a few months ago, or the start of the season, you would say, if City get to the stage where they're going for the quadruple and they can put those three in a game and Sterling Aguero and Bernardo in another, they're absolutely fine. But they're not fine, are they? Because every time that seems to have happened recently, Guardiola's had to make a sub pretty early and either one or two or three or whatever go off. And yeah, I don't know, it's a bit of an odd thing with Jesus because, you know, we gave quite a um, half-hour interview, I think, over Christmas saying about his family being away and, you know, he was feeling really low. I think Guardiola was kind of losing patience with him a bit. It was the Instagram point, post as well where um, it wasn't subtle, was it? No, no really. No. But, I mean, is his mates have been back and forth, haven't they, since Yeah, then. exactly. They, but they've come back and like his mum come back yeah. and everyone was, oh, okay. and he's, you know, he was scoring a few goals again. Obviously, at the start of the year, there was some mad stat about how he'd scored 12 goals or whatever. Obviously, a lot of them were against low league opposition. And it looked like, oh, he's back in the groove again. But 
it's that weird dynamic where neither him nor Aguero seem to be in the group at the same time. Um, and with City casting their eye over a couple of number nines, you do wonder if that if Guardiola's feelings over Christmas were kind of might think, well, we'll get another number nine in and then Jesus will have to respond and maybe Jesus will have to respond like Aguero did when when Jesus first signed. Maybe it's that kind of situation because, yeah, at the moment, with Guardiola talk about all the games and all the injuries and stuff, you, you should think, really, they could change that front three and that would be enough. You know, the, the games have got coming up, Fulham, Cardiff, Brighton, and then just go in later in the month, Palace and Burnley. You could switch it up, but it's not as easy as that for whatever reason. When they're starting, they're not always making the kind of impact they should. And it's maybe it's because, you know, like when you play a weakened team in a cup competition, obviously City haven't really been doing that. And even when they have, they've been winning. But generally, you just disrupt the rhythm. And you think maybe if you drop one of them into a team with Bernardo and Sterling in or Sterling and Aguero, then the other one would kind of be dragged up. But you kind of think with them all going in at the same time, it's not really doing anyone any favours, but they, I think they need to... Well, if they can get that sorted, then City are gonna, City's chances of winning all, all of it is going to be like, much improved. Well, the bottom bottom eight of the Premier League are crap, let's be honest. They're not very good, <laughs> are they? But you wouldn't dare not not play your best striker, would you? At this in point, them, yeah. just in You know, just in case. Even though, kind of, you'd probably beat those teams anyway with... Uh, Jesus is a... Marvellous player in his own right. Um, but it just doesn't feel like managers would dare not play someone like Aguero, even if you're at, even if you're playing Cardiff at home or whatever. Um, well, I was going to say, either on either on Aguero or on Jesus, what does it say that Aguero was thrown on and five minutes five minutes later the comeback starts? Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, they, they played together, didn't they? But um, Aguero is going to change the game and Sterling's going to change the game because of fabulous players aren't yeah, they yeah Aguero mean, is doing nothing now even if he doesn't score he's a proper handful but Jesus made a really good point this week in that when the Brazilian press were asking him about how it was going at City he said well it's going fine I'm battling out with the club's best ever goal scorer this is going to yeah, these and sort of things are going to how happen, old is he so. now he's probably only 21 he was only 19 when he signed but he just started so well in a way maybe a victim of his own success in a, in a way, because there were such high expectations after that, because he was great, people were genuinely saying, not fans, we'll get rid of Aguero if he's not going to contribute to the Pep's system. Stick with Jesus. Obviously, a couple of years down the line, he struggled a bit, but he's a young lad. He's adapting to living in Manchester, which is completely different, obviously, to what he's growing up with. And these these things happen with young players. And like I say, maybe if he played with Bernardo and Sterling, he might, would might be he would benefit story. from that. Yeah, like they would have that that rhythm there, but when there were three of them playing together. And Mares, you know, kind of struggles regardless of who's playing. So, I mean, maybe that doesn't help as well. So, again, there's reasons for that first season, etc. Aguero yeah. was the sort of poacher that Jesus is once. It's only, like, latterly that he's started scoring all sorts of different goals. And just he, just being outside the box, being really, really mm. good, his link-up play and the runs he makes. That'd be why it made such a difference when he came on as well the other day, because he would just... Obviously, there was Jesus up there as well, but he was just a completely different threat. Right. Well, uh, City's comeback win at Swansea on Saturday gives us an excuse to revisit one of the most memorable FA Cup turnarounds in the competition's history. It came in the fourth round 15 years ago when Kevin Keegan's side travelled to Tottenham for a replay after a one-all draw at Eastlands. I've been speaking to some of the key figures from City's 4-3 win. One, two, three, uh. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so. 
When the referee blew the whistle for half-time at White Hart Lane on Wednesday the 4th of February 2004, the travelling Manchester City fans might have been tempted to just go home. It was one of those games you, at half-time, you think, can the referee whistle for the end? That's former City midfielder Paul Bosfeldt. He told us that with the team down to 10 men and trailing 3-0 to Spurs, even manager Kevin Keegan was thinking of damage limitation. The message was a little bit from the coach and uh, also from the players. Try to uh, save a bit of skin so it won't be uh, big numbers. The evening started badly for City. Ledley King opened the scoring inside 90 seconds before Robbie Keane doubled Tottenham's advantage on 20 minutes. On the brink of half-time, Joey Barton was booked for a foul and Christian Ziga found the net from the resulting free kick. Then as the teams were heading for the dressing room, things got worse and Barton talked himself off the pitch. So I'm saying to him, how, how are you booking me? How are you giving me a yellow card for that? Obviously not in as polite a tone as that. And he sent me off. Even to this day, I didn't say anything at the level for him to send me off. And as I say, I think it went back to the warm-up. I think it went back to us taking a piss out of him in the warm-up. And I I was just laughing along. The midfielder says it left the manager confused. I've just started taking my boots off and like launching them. Obviously not not happy at all. Taking my top off and like short and all that. And he's going, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I said, been sent off. He said, what? So I've been sent off. So he's got no clue I've been sent off. He sends Derek Fazakli out to go and check, comes back in and says, yeah, he's been sent off. We're getting beat 3 as it is. City pulled a goal back almost immediately into the second half. A clever free kick was headed home by Sylvain Distan before a wonderful double save kept the away team in the tie. Arnie Arison was only in goal because new signing David James was cup-tied. Then, after 69 minutes, Paul Bosfeldt made it 3-2. I thought it was a little bit uh, a bouncing ball. I took it half fully and I, I didn't take it that well and uh, it, it was reflected and uh, because of that uh, it went in. I think it wasn't uh, the most prettiest goal but at the end uh, it wasn't necessarily. It took City 10 more minutes to equalise. That strike came from Sean Wright Phillips. No matter how many times I watch it I'm always going to say it's never offside. But, um, I just managed to get clear through and I saw the keeper come in and I just thought if I just lift it enough Hopefully it will go in and I think the way the game was going at the time after getting back into the game It just seemed like whatever we did in front of goal at that period of time would have most probably gone in This was the City team that had been out of luck all season Their win in the third round 3-1 in a replay at Leicester was their only win in a run of 18 games stretching back more than three months That made it all the more surprising when John Macken scored City's fourth goal and the winner in stoppage time. The third one came and you think, right, can you go and do anything? I just remember the ball coming across and thinking, right, get your head on this, John, and see what what happens. And just thankfully it went in and, you know, there was no extra time to be played because I think if if that would have come around, I think we would have quite, well, we would have probably lost the game because it was all there. was all spent, so to speak. He adds that nobody was really expecting a win 45 minutes earlier. You're 3-0 down, like you say, you've just had a man sent off, you're thinking to yourself, right, okay, just go out and try and have a little bit of pride, try and stop him scoring, you know, six or seven, just try and keep it fairly respectable and... You know, like I say, you get your first one, you think, right, okay, then hold on now, 3-1's not a bad result. Then you get the second, you think, right, okay, you know, this is it. And certainly when you get your third, you think, right, come on, then your momentum's with you. You think, right, go on, push on, let's see what we can do. Meanwhile, Joey Barton explains what it was like for him watching the second half play out from the stands and what was going through his mind as he took his seat. I'm getting fined at 3-0. I think that's two weeks wages, at least 3-1. I'm like, I'm still getting fined. 3-2, I'm like, might only be a week's wages here. I take the edge off Keegan's draft, 3-3, I'm like, might even be a fineness. And then, obviously, 4-3, I'm 
and I ne you never find me. It got lost in the pandemonium of the game that I actually never got fined. One of the Spurs players that evening was Michael Brown. He'd come through the ranks at City and had been involved in the club's comeback win at Wembley against Gillingham in 1999. He explains what it was like to be on the other end of a remarkable turnaround. With such talented players that they did have in the Premier League, you know, they had great attacking players then. And I just think they started on the front foot, we come out slightly sloppy and it, it was 3-1 quite quickly and I think it just it snowballed and you knew, you, you knew it was coming but you couldn't do anything about it. It was like, it was just... And, you know, how do you change it in the middle of the game to stop it happening? And Joey Barton says, along with City's 3-2 win over QPR to secure the Premier League title in 2012, there's one common factor. The game I get sent off in is the most memorable goal in Premier League history. And it gets replayed countless times on Sky. When he had, I think, eight, eight sendings off. And two of them are Sky Classic games, that 4-3 and the Aguero one. While Saturday's win at Swansea doesn't come close to the level of the comebacks that City fans will remember as iconic, it has left Pep Guardiola's hopes of an unlikely quadruple still alive. If he's going to win the lots, then he'll be hoping that it doesn't need anything quite as drastic as what happened at White Hart Lane just over 15 years ago. Hi, I'm John Macken and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. A look at City's 4-3 win at Spurs 15 years ago there. Now, before we move on, next month is 125 years since City were established as Manchester City. To mark the occasion, Gary James is giving a talk on the history of the club at the Dance House Theatre in Manchester. It's on Thursday the 11th of April, which is one day off the original formation meeting, which was on the 12th of April, 1894. And we're hoping to be recording that week's Blue Moon podcast from behind the scenes as well. If you'd like some tickets, you can head over to thedancehouse.co.uk and there's more information on there as well. Now then, uh, for the middle part of uh, this week's show, obviously no game to look ahead to, uh, I've brought forward one of the questions from Ask the Panel. This is from uh, Rocket Source on Twitter. City are still in three competitions out of four, having won the other. What would now be considered a failure at the end of this season? I want to sit here and say that the double would be a failure, if I'm completely honest, but open yourself up to ridicule with that a little bit. Um, but I think the way that everything's set in the Premier League and the FA Cup that they should be they should be going for domestic treble and they should think that that is eminently achievable and because they set themselves such high standards that anything less than three trophies would be a disappointment certainly a disappointment because you want to kind of improve year on year and that is the only way they are going to going to improve and the stars have kind of aligned for them a little bit in the cup competitions. I mean, even the Champions League draw, the fact they've they've avoided Liverpool and Barcelona specifically. Up got, until the final. Yeah, it's got to be uh, considered a, a bonus um, and to a lesser, lesser extent Man United. So I think I bit the bullet and wrote this piece on Monday after the Swansea game that the quadruple is now, it is now on and you can't get, you can't get away from that fact. Well, let's. I mean, this is what Guardiola had to say after the Swansea game about the quadruple. We know every game we will lose. We are going to lose the competition, and that's why our physicality, mental approach is so demanding, so tough. Last season, this in this stage in the cup, we were out. In league, we have maybe 10, 11 points in front. Now, when we come back, we know every game we're going to play. We lose, we are out. In the cup semi-finals, in the league, Liverpool, we are going to catch them. In the Champions League, you know what's going to happen. So it's though. So it's more, that's why it's nice. It's nice for us to live these kind of situations. Uh, congratulations on the win. Um, obviously, you have great faith in your players, but I wonder with the quadruple on the line, 
No, ask me, ask me in, April, in the end of April, and I will answer you what is my thoughts about that, that we're still far away. But uh, I would like to have a reflection that uh, the, the most incredible thing is to be in, in this position now so far after win two titles and fight for three more. For this club is much more important. Don't give up and be in there until the end and win the titles. I know for the people what I listen for a ex former players, if we don't win the Premier the Champions League will be a, a big big failure. If we just win the cup will be a disaster season. I don't understand when they were former football players how difficult is win the titles, how difficult is win the Champions League. Can say to our club that we are new in that positions, say these kind of things. The people say we are Man City, we have to win the the Champions League. What are I'm talking about? So the important for that club is being there. So because the next generations, when come new managers, new players, they will know that one generation of players, they fight every single game, every single competition until the end. That is the best we can have. And that is more important than leave one title. After 100 points last season, this season, in this stage, after two titles in our pocket, we are there. And fighting and fighting every game, like we fought the second half to be there. That is the best we can give. And after the people say, no, Dan, it was a big failure. But it's okay. But they were players and they should be proud to be in this kind of group, to fight like they fight all the seasons. That's why chapeau for my players and all the stuff. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Sam Guardiola stays quite tight-lipped about uh, about the potential of quadruple. It's always asked me again in April, ask me again in in May, but we're getting we're getting close to that stage now. Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, I, I just think just the amount of games, basically. I, I, you do wonder if injuries and fatigue. You know, they're not going to win all of them. Yeah, and obviously, if you don't win one in the league, then that's an issue. But Liverpool's fixtures—you never know—they're not that easy without looking into too much of the future. But yeah, the quadruple for City is in range. April is huge. Um, you know, the last game they would play in April would be a Champions League semi-final. That would be the last of an incredible run, and then they basically go again. They got two games left in the Premier League, um, and then they've just got a have the the second leg of a semi-final. And then, stupidly, they'd have... Well, if, if it's an FA Cup final as well, but they'd have a couple of weeks or three weeks with one game, having played so many games in April. The scheduling seems a bit stupid in terms of the way the Premier League is. But yeah, I mean, it is in reach. Um, in terms of going back to whether it's a failure or not or what would be a failure, you'd be tempted to say not winning the league. But if they don't win the league and it's by like one point or two points and Liverpool go from here and win all of their games or most of their games and just do it by that small margin, I'm not sure you could really call it a failure because if you look at the games where City have dropped points so far, they've been over Christmas when there was like a lot of injuries. You know, David Silva was out, De Bruyne was... You know, De Bruyne hasn't played this season, basically. You can't tell me De Bruyne has made a contribution to this team this season anywhere like anything that was expected last season. He just hasn't. Fernandinho was out for those games. Um... You know the squad, the squad is big, but to be doing it without those players, I think Aguero was missing around that kind of time. They are going to be big misses, and to be that to be that close and to be this consistent and this competitive, and the results they've had this year is great. So if they do drop points against Palace or United or whatever, and it's only 
a couple of points, but they still lose it. I don't think that could be seen as failure. That's just like such a, a fine margin. But yeah, the better word is probably disappointment because yeah, the domestic trouble at the moment, you would say, is definitely doable. And the Champions League, you can see them getting to the final. Juve know what they're doing. Obviously, we've seen that and they've got Ronaldo. But over the two legs, the experience kind of notwithstanding and all that kind of ephemeral stuff that Guardiola talks about, the quality's there to do it. And like we say, it'll be after that month and it, it would really be inside. Then another month down the line, another five weeks down the line, then it is, right, dig in now. We've got four games to win everything. 15 games maximum between now and the end of the season. Eight Premier League, five Champions League, two FA Cup. In those terms, when you break it down like that, it's not that big an ask, is it? Just the problem is they're all in a month. But most of them are like... 78% of them are in a month that's just the stupid thing about it but you've got to use your squad haven't you unfortunately for them the squad's not big enough it's, there's loads and loads of quality but it's not the biggest following them and reporting on them you kind of hope that the disappointment that they had in the summer and not signing the centre midfielder hopefully that doesn't come back to bite them because that would be a real shame that they kind of missed out on Jorginho and that is their undoing which you know they could easily get injuries to Fernandinho and Gundogan and that's a real problem then isn't it Rather than kind of fatigue and tiredness, it would be the it would be the depth of the squad. Just in case if they got because you can't just get a heap of injuries at the same time, can't you? And then that can com- completely scuppers what you're doing. Does this kind of talk now going on that I mean we're adding to in the in this studio? Does it does that put extra pressure on them? No, I don't think no because they they talk about it all the time anyway. Um, I mean we were talking about it last week. I can't remember who it was that came out last year. Guardiola had said, "I'm not talking about the quadruple when it was when it was before the before Liverpool. Bef- and, oh no, because no, before the Wigan yeah. game in the FA Cup. He's like, we're not talking about, it, we're not talking about it. And then one of the players came out and said, oh yeah, no, we've been, yeah, it's it's all we can talk <laughs> we've about. We've been talking about it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they obviously like they're obviously they obviously think about it, which is which is great because you need like kind of you need that drive and that ambition if you're going to go and do it. Um." Does it put any more pressure on them? I probably not. I don't pressure, think because you put it on themselves. As a professional so. is, they won't want to lose. And again, this whole Liverpool rivalry thing, they 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 won't want to let it slip over over a game or two. And it it doesn't it doesn't matter what we talk about. And you know, we're only talking about because it it's like it's definitely possible. And you know, it's fans are talking about. It. Everyone is talking about it because it's the thing. You can't just ignore it. It's not even the elephant in the room. It's the room. It's the main thing that's going on at the minute. It's the main issue around City. <laughs> Try to hold off and hold off from doing a piece about the quadruple, a proper kind of hit on it, it is doable. But you went but it's, for it. It's got to a stage now where you've got to, haven't you? Yeah, with all the draws. Everything's laid out now, isn't it? With with your way for doing all the draws all the way to the final, including who the home team's going to be. You've got that you, pathway, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. You know exactly what lies ahead. Like, exactly what lies ahead for City. And if you looked at it all individually, you'd go, yeah, they win that, win that, win that. But it's just a pile up, isn't it? Well, we, you mentioned the draws there, Sam. City have been criticised by opposition fans on Twitter this week for, for having easy draws all the way through. Yeah. Um, opposition fa- fans not, of opposition clubs that have been knocked out of these competitions. I was going to say, it's not it's not really City's fault, is it? You get what you're given. <laughs> Again, this just goes back to people finding reasons to discredit other people's success. But and it, it, this it, time it's... the co- And yeah, like Jack said before, and it, I mean, there's no escaping it. The, you know, the draws have been kind. They, there hasn't been a major test in there. But what are you going to do about it? It felt to me like um, there were some fans who want to kind of lay the groundwork for the the quadruple being kind of oh it was easy because oh, yeah, look course. at the run they had 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's that, like, if it's that, that easy, be, go and do it. Even know? if they weren't laying the groundwork now, that would definitely be the case. You go, oh, look at this. But, you know, people have done that. It's just it's just football debate, but now it's on Twitter, and now that feeds into the yeah. radios, and the radio comes yeah. back to Twitter, and now we talk about it on podcasts. It's just 24-7. Now. Well, the difference now is that you'd be having that. You'd have a platform about three people at the end of the bar with half a pint of mild, wouldn't you? And now you've got a platform with thousands of people on Twitter. Yeah, so, like honestly, who who cares and, what? But because says. because every, because we've all seen it, we've all seen it. News editors or will you know there will be articles written about that, and it might not even be people. You know, people talk about the media, but this kind of stuff that gets retweeted around. It's not always in newspapers. It's not always on websites like Goal. It'll be on like, you know betting blogs, and it'll be like fan opinions, but they'll be like the opinions of the kind of people who come up with, oh yeah, this is easy. You can't. I mean, if City were to win the quadruple or the treble, the domestic treble or what, any kind of treble. You couldn't look at it and say you've had an easy run because at some point, like I was saying before, the the amount of games, the the actual requirements that go into that, it negates who you're playing against to an extent because it's incredibly difficult. You're talking about the 15 games left. I think Adrenaline will get a lot of those players through, which should be a positive for them, especially when they look at it and there's no, obviously no um, international football this, this summer apart from the under-21s. And you're probably looking at like, end of May, June, at least a week of July, going, that's my holiday, I'm going to get through this. So I think the adrenaline might play a part for, for both City and Liverpool towards the end. I might be tempted to say that if I'd just written a piece about the quadruple as well. <laughs> the good thing as well the for City is... The quad is on, apparently, according <laughs> to the headline, right? City have started doing comebacks as well, which, if you were tired, because it's fine if you if you if you're playing at home and you're winning three nil and you get a bit tired, that's all right. But if you're tired and you're chasing the game, and you haven't got it on your side where you can come back, if if your recent experiences of being behind in the game was Leicester, Palace, and Newcastle, and us watching, you think not coming back here. But they did it against Schalke. wasn't a great performance, but they did it, and they did it against Swansea, which was a better performance, albeit against a Championship team. That starts to kick into the mentality. So even if they are tired, they think we can do this. We if we keep sticking to what we need to do, keep making these passes, making these runs, will be fine. So the physicality is definitely a factor. So. Right, so more questions from us to the panel after this from Howard Hawking. Hello? Hello? It's me again. Back from the future. Not sure what year, I forgot to decide on that. You just make one up for yourself. Maybe 2023? As the UK is already close to a post-apocalyptic wasteland. I didn't have to travel that far back in time. Anyway, it seems I have to warn you foolish City fans again. It's become a bit tiresome, this. But here we go, nevertheless. You see, there's a new threat. It's not City dominance anymore, or Liverpool dominance either. No, it's something even worse. It's the attempt to rewrite history. And when you try and do that, the ramifications can be disastrous. This time around, it all started in the middle of March 2019. Manchester City had sneaked past a lively Swansea City in the FA Cup to reach Wembley yet again, where they would play Brighton. Second home and all that. Talk turned once more to the possibility of a quadruple. After all, no team had ever got this close in English football. Naturally, for those of a non-blue tint, this would simply not do. So history was rewritten. Step forward, first of all, a certain Adrian Durham. Now, you probably only know Durham as the shock jock on a crap radio station, but he's now the Tory backbencher MP that proposed bringing back corporal and capital punishment last month. And the abolition of income tax for redheads. He started all this shit. He questioned whether, because City got a soft penalty and scored the winner from an offside position, that the tie with Swansea should be replayed. 
Ben Rumsby, the Daily Telegraph, mused that the Swansea game reminded him of when Arsene Wenger offered to replay a match against Sheffield United 20 years previously. Sirius XM? No, me neither. Asked if all four quarter-finals should be replayed as VAR was not used consistently in all matches. And so it began. Well, not really, as this was nothing that new. Mainstream journalists such as Barry Glendening had already suggested that City's achievements would have to come with an asterisk next to them due to claims of FFP irregularities, transfer bans and the like. City's reputation was tarnished, as you already knew. This was exacerbated with the fear that City could win an unprecedented quadruple, so now history had to be rewritten. The possible achievement was downplayed, starting with City's generous run of cup draws that season. City were suddenly fortunate for getting kind draws after winning the league and topping their Champions League group. City were suddenly fortunate for progressing through two domestic cups when other big teams drew each other or didn't take the competition seriously. In conclusion, City were nothing special, though for the money they'd spent they should be anyway, but they weren't. But then it got really serious, because City had already won loads of stuff and that really couldn't do. The rest of the footballing world had had enough, they wanted a return to the old days, a level playing field where United could organically dominate once more. This feeling only got worse when, for them, the thing they dreaded most happened. City won the quadruple, with almost 54,000 fans turning out of Deansgate to greet their blue-shirted heroes. But soon after the transfer and Champions League bans kicked in, and it was then that past achievements came under scrutiny. Under pressure from the likes of Liverpool and United, the Premier League and FA looked into whether City's trophies were legitimate. It may not surprise you to discover that they were not. The reclassification process went in chronological order. The FA Cup of 2011 was the first to go. A committee comprised of Mick Hucknell, John Aldridge, Paddy Creran and Bobby Charlton's comb-over decided that the red card for Paul Scholes in the 2011 semi-final was a tad harsh. What's more, Dimitar Berbatov was put off by a light reflecting off someone's watch when he missed a good chance in the first half. The score was reversed and it was assumed that United would brush aside Stoke City in the final with ease. The committee returned after a light lunch to consider the 2011-12 season. Needless to say, United won the League 2, after it was considered unfair that United's final game at Sunderland finished before City's. Thus, only goals scored until full-time at the Stadium of Light counted. United were champions once more. A new committee was sworn in to look at the 2013-14 season. City were allowed to retain the League Cup as it was only Sunderland they'd beaten, but the League was a different matter. A committee of Dean Saunders, David Gill, James Nesbitt and the band cast poured over the evidence. I think you know where this is leading. Gerard Slick was considered unfair and another result was reversed. For the 17-18 season, the middleman was cut out and the title was deemed illegal due to financial doping. City were also relegated four divisions. The committee made two final decisions too. City's badge was changed to contain a hundred asterisks. Secondly, it was made public record that the club was established in the year 2008. City got two minor concessions, they could continue doping, allegedly, and the Paris Angel would be allowed back on Twitter for a probationary period. And that was the beginning of the end. Crowds naturally dwindled, players left, Sam Allardyce had a brief stint as manager, before the Venkies bought the club out and installed Glenn Roder in the hot seat. City never recovered and eventually sealed a ground share deal with Stockport County. Still couldn't sell out. But United and Liverpool fans were still not happy. They bemoaned the lost years, the years they lost due to City's financial doping and cheating, so they claimed. So City fans, the few that were left, were pariahs. They were held responsible for allowing it all to happen, for cheering as it did. 
This was Brexit Britain, where law and order had already broken down long before. The men in black roam the area as I speak, picking off any blue citizens they encounter. Thus I hide in this bunker, with a steady supply of monster munch and pucker pies, and DVDs of the good old days. I've even got a VHS of Back in the Big Time with Sean Goater on the front. Younger listeners should ask their parents about what VHS is, and whilst you're at it, the joy of a season ticket book. So, I hear you ask, what do us City fans need to do to combat this? Well, I'm afraid to say this time that the answer is nothing. There is nothing you can do. This is one challenge too gargantuan, too massive to complete. You cannot fight a tide, and you cannot fight this. We're pariahs now, and the club's achievements count for nothing. They remain only in our memories, and one day those will go too. And history will not have recorded the great city side of 2011 to 19. I send you this message simply to inform and to implore you to enjoy that quadruple before the house of cards collapses. The summer is yours, so make the most of it. It's a scorcher, by the way, though I should point out most of East Anglia is underwater nowadays. Don't worry, they moved mustard production elsewhere in the nick of time. To Singapore, in fact, after Brexit kicked in. But I digress. The wonderful journey is about to end, so whilst you can, drink it in. History will not judge City kindly. One day you may find it easy to support someone else instead. Perhaps go back to Chelsea or FCUM. That's up to you. Just know that openly being a City fan is too dangerous now. There's no glory to be had. Pepe's managing United and Salah has three separate religions based around him. The cult has not weakened, nor will it ever. But don't be sad, we had a good run. We had the Aguero moment and no other fan will ever experience anything like that. And of course we had the quadruple. The league sealed with a 93rd minute winner from Edison at Brighton. The FA Cup sealed with ease and the Champions League final against Liverpool won with a 98th minute offside handball winner from Raheem Sterling. History makers, never to be repeated. Enjoy, because it was one hell of a ride. I'll see you all in four years or so. Bunker 2347, just outside Basingstoke. Free entry to anyone who can recite the Bernardo Silva song in full. Until then, good luck and keep the faith. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now this is As the Panel. Send your questions in at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter through the website bluemoonpodcast.com or you can get us on Instagram as well, Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, starting off with Emo Bobby on Twitter. He asks, what does the future look like with Mendy? Is it time to move forward without him? Is he not in the plans? Jack, we touched on this before. Yeah, I'd. Um, they're looking at left-backs. He, he can't... Unfortunately, can't kind of rely on him from a fitness point of view, at the very least. Um, he's gone away to do warm weather training, hasn't he? Yeah, but he's kind of just not played in a similar way to what Sam was saying before with De Bruyne. He's just not played this season. He's not had no impact on the on the season at all. Um, obviously, played in the you know after the derby, then injured himself straight away while he was on, even before he got to international duty with France. Hasn't really been seen since. Is he worth the hassle? I don't personally. I don't think he is. I think there are a lot. Well, there are a few good British left backs about that wouldn't cost astronomical money that they could go and sign. Talk is Chilwell. How, how, Chilwell. how strong is that? Yeah, pretty strong. They kind of he's the top one that they identified before Christmas. And I don't. I don't think that's changed. If it was me, I'd probably have a look at Tierney at Celtic. Would be the one I would go for. But unfortunately for him. You can't rely on him. And as we said before, Zinchenko is great, but he's never going to be your Premier left-back. 
and Delph is well, what's happening to Delph is happening to Delph, and he don't think he's really in the plans. So when you add all that up, you, they've got to they've got to go and get someone. Mike Cook's been in touch on Twitter to ask: Should Riyad Mahrez be given some games on the left, as having to stop to come in onto his left foot just isn't working? Sam. Well, I mean, it's not it's not working brilliantly, is it? But you'd think Guardiola would have other solutions rather than just put him on a different side of the pitch so he physically can't do it. Because it sounds like he's a robot who's stuck, and if if he was put on the left, he'd keep cutting onto his left anyway. Like he must have been told not to do it. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on. What's going on there? I'm not sure what Guardiola has been telling him. And I'd love to find out because he just seems to make the pitch really narrow, and it's all about width for Guardiola. And he's not got that threat coming in offside, in coming in off the side from the right like Sterling had last season. Obviously, he's gone to the other side now, but it should work in theory, but it just isn't. And you know, all all the defenders know what he's going to do. It's one of those like should he as a question. Yeah, but should Sane play off the right and come in on side onto his left foot, which he did at Schalke, and everyone seems to think he's got the ability for? I'd love to see it, but practically, for whatever reason, that's not happened. It's probably not going to happen. So I can't see Mares going over to the left. And if it's just to stop him cutting in onto his left foot, I'm not sure because what's he going to do? Get the swing and crosses from the left in the air. That's no good to anyone. That very rarely leads to a goal for City. So I can't see that working. Um, him getting to the byline and cutting the ball back. Sane is excellent at that. There's no point in him going to the left because Sterling's doing brilliantly over there anyway. So I don't see why you'd put him over there and see what happens. Whereas you've got proven performers on that side. Just tell him, I don't know, just tell him what he needs to be told but I think, to get it to work on the right-hand side. I think part of the issue with Mares is that a lot of fans look at him and say, well, you know, cutting in onto his left doesn't work. But you look at Bernardo, for instance, when he plays out on on the right-hand side, he, he's very left-footed and he cuts inside onto his left all the time and defenders yeah. know what he's going to do, but he still does it and it works. We work for Mahrez at Leicester. He's playing exactly the same now as he did at Leicester and I just think defenders have kind of found him out a little bit. Um, when he's wide and he can cut in and put a cross in like Bernardo did last season, I think it's fine because they're very accurate. But... He, he always, whenever you think of him in your mind's eye, maybe this is just for me, but I always think of him on the corner of the 18-yard box. He's too narrow there. He has been crowded out, and like Jack says, maybe the defenders know which areas to push him into. I don't think the right-backs, whoever's been right-back, has bombed on quite as much as he did last year, which you would want with Mares in the team because obviously he comes in and you want your, your right-back uh, overlapping. I mean, the big thing for... I mean, it's a ni- it is a very nice idea moving Mares over to the left and giving him... Probably a bit, be a bit freer over there, I guess. But he's just not quick enough to play as a left winger. He's he's not got he's not got that trick, and he's not quick enough. Yeah, what like, what has he got? Because well, yeah. he he's good at playing on the right hand side and cutting in and beating people and shooting and crossing. But if you take him over to the left, it's a different angle of the cross. It's a different angle of the run. It's just you, you're kind of taking away what he is good at to try and compensate for something that he's bad at. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't, I'm not really sure it adds up. The goal at Newport masked. A pretty average performance, and he what he was nowhere near good enough against Swansea. He's a, like I think he's a real worry for him. Final question for this week comes from Fran on Twitter: Is the North Stand redevelopment ever going to happen? And do you think Safe Standing might be holding it up? Which I I, I don't know if you I, I don't know if you'll have any information on the North Stand redevelopment at all. But uh, it, it's kind of an interesting debate on Safe Standing. Yeah, there was something came out about it a few months ago, didn't it? So standing, no, the, no, no the, the development it was being planned. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I was surprised by that because we all, a few of us, went into the club 
to interview different people um, on the 10-year anniversary of the takeover. And I spoke to one of the guys who was responsible for that, and he didn't give any indication it was coming up soon, fair enough. But what he did say, basically, was they're just assessing the demand. And it's not a joke. At the moment, there are there are times when City struggle to fill the ground, whether that's because it's a midweek game or and people don't want to go, or um, you know people have got tickets but don't turn up or whatever. Those are issues there, and it, it's all about the demand. They're not just going to, you know, they could make 80,000 if they wanted. They've got the resources. It wouldn't contribute to expenditure on FFP because it's, you know, investing in infrastructure. But they need to know that that many people are going to go to the games. And so I was a bit surprised when they did announce the intention to do it. But the period since they announced that to now is probably a normal time to do it. They'd also need to work out when because as soon as the season finishes this year, they're going to have concerts on it. So it's not going to be any time soon. There's no rush. I suppose it's only prudent as well while the safe standing debate is going on. There's no point making a new stand or ex- extending it and then a, a year later going, oh, we need to change it all again, spend more money. Like I say, it's not going to be FFP dependent, but it's just they're not going to want to spend a few extra million. Yeah, maybe safe standing is part of it, but also there's just no rush on the club's part, I don't think. Quick word on safe standing, Jack. Do you fancy it coming in anytime soon? Yeah, yeah. I was um, I stood up on a terrace the other week um watching football and it was ace i've not done it in a long long time yeah it's just a, it's just a lot of fun in it and people i've got bad back so i don't I, i'm not a fan of standing up for 90 minutes I, so. I, the groundswell of opinion is that it should come in and people would welcome it i just think it would add to atmospheres that are softening up and down the country in every division um i think it would kind of reinvigorate english football to a certain degree Similar to you, David, with your bad back, I used to stand up at, at particularly away, away games all the time. And it was like, in my mind, because obviously now recently I attend most of my games in the press box. So in my mind I was like, oh yeah, standing up for games is great. It's the best way of doing it. But I did it about a month ago. It was pain. pain. <laughs> I couldn't but wait till half time. I was like, going to sit down at half time. Down, yeah. In an all-seater, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. not good enough. It, when, it's just, when it's an actual proper terrace... And you you kind of free, aren't you? You're not kind of you're not banging your knees against the seat in front or anything like that. It's brilliant. Yeah, but as I said, I've not I've not done it in so long, so it was it was a welcome kind of welcome return. It's not going to turn it into you know Napoli overnight. You're not going to get a mad atmosphere because that depends on the people who go. But this, I think this will yeah give a little bit uh, a little got, bit in the right direction. I've got bad back. P- padded seats for me. Bring them all. You know everything. Sofas. That's what I want to see. Uh, right, well, with the international break this weekend, meaning there's no city, there couldn't be a better time to sign up to the Blue Moon Podcast Patreon feed. For your money, you'll get a bonus show of at least 15 minutes, and it's often far more because we can't help ourselves, and that's every week, and regular blogs by members of the team as well. That's for just $2 a month, or about £1.50 if you're in the UK. This week's bonus show is all about the merits of the Champions League and the Premier League and how City fans feel about each. Thank you to my two guests for this week, Mail Sports, Jack Gaunt. Thank you very much. And Goal.com's Sam Lee. Thank you. I'm David Mooney, and we'll have another show for for you when the squad reconvenes for the trip to Fulham next week. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.